you go into any public library, you'll notice that the largest section of the nonfiction area is the biography section. We love biographies for a variety of reasons. There's, there's the thought that if we, if we read the biographies of famous people and copy what they did and copy how they thought, well, then maybe we can be famous too. You read any, any business uh, list of books to read and the biography of Steve Jobs will always show up because there's the idea that if we can recreate what Steve Jobs did in his life and in his work, well, then perhaps our company could be the next Apple. Or maybe we read biographies because we like sort of the, the ugly behind-the-scenes gossip of our favorite celebrities. It's just juicy stuff to read, and it's entertaining. But for whatever reason, we just love biographies. And if you are a fan of biographies, Scripture is going to leave you very disappointed. There is no more sparse biography in scripture than the topic of today's sermon. John the Baptizer, who we usually call John the Baptist. Uh, and no, the word Baptist does not mean that he was affiliated with our friends a little further down Kingston Pike. Um, it is a title. Baptist describes what he did, not what church he was affiliated with. The best biographical data we have on John the Baptist comes to us in the very first chapter of Mark's gospel. And it reads like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the best overall picture we have. But there are a few things, a few other things that we can know about John the Baptist when we combine the stories of him from the other gospel. He was born under somewhat miraculous circumstances. He was set aside for a special purpose from the time he was a baby. He was a man who had a strange sense of fashion, had an odd diet, and who preached sermons that could be heard as offensive, but were powerful and effective. He preached repentance from sin and baptized people in the Jordan River, perhaps in many different areas of Israel. He met with a tragic death at the hands of a puppet king for reasons that are somewhat debatable. That's it. That's all we know for certain. His entire biography can be contained in one short paragraph. There are scholars who speculate about his life based on clues that we get from the scripture, but we can't know anything for sure outside of what the gospel gives us and outside of a couple of ancient historians. 
The Jewish historian Josephus lived and worked either during or slightly after the time of John the Baptist. And he verifies that John the Baptizer was a real person who was a powerful preacher and very popular among the people. So popular, in fact, that King Herod feared that John might lead an uprising against his rule. And while the gospel writers tell us that John was killed because of Herod's rash promise at a drunken party, Josephus suspects that Herod was looking for any opportunity to get rid of a troublesome rabble-rouser who was influencing people against him. So it seems unlikely that a man with such a limited biography would be considered so important in the story of Jesus. And he was important. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus called him more than a prophet. And he said that among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Including, if we take Jesus at his word, Moses, Abraham, or even King David. What made John so important was his life's purpose. He was a prophet. He was the messenger who was announcing the greatest event in history. At this point, it's probably important to take, it, take a look at what it means to be a prophet because sometimes that word gets misunderstood. Prophets, in the scriptural definition, were not fortune tellers, although they did speak about the future. A scriptural prophet would, would, could, could foresee circumstances that would happen, could foresee events that would happen, but dates and times were a little nebulous. A prophet would never say, you should buy that stock on April 27th. A prophet would also never say, eh, maybe you shouldn't leave the house on July 10th. Their job was, was more than that. And being a prophet was not a job anybody asked for. There were no long lines of people wanting to be prophets at the Old Testament employment agency. Being a prophet was a hard and a lonely life. First of all, there was the first encounter with God, which in most cases was absolutely terrifying. And then there was the, the, the responsibility to speak truth to very powerful people who didn't necessarily want to hear the truth. In fact, the response to being called to be a prophet was more in line with this kind of response. Oh, man, why me? There's got to be somebody who can do this better. Please, God, go somewhere else. Call someone else. But they couldn't resist the call because they were also filled with the Spirit of God, which although they didn't necessarily want to say harsh things to people of power or to the people in general, they couldn't help themselves. They had to. The prophet was compelled to speak or write what the people needed to hear, even though it was an ugly truth at times. The prophet's main job was to hold up two things for people to see. One was an ideal portrait of what God intended and what God expected. And the other was a flawless mirror. On one side is what God expects. On the other, a realization of how far we had drifted from God's intention. 
Those two things were so hard to look at that often the easiest escape route was to get rid of the messenger. And that was a part of the prophet's life as well. You often had the option of a quick death or a slow, torturous death when the truth became too uncomfortable for people to accept. So John the baptizer was a prophet in the style of the old Hebrew prophets. That's part of what made him such an unlikely prophet. In his time, the prophets had all but disappeared. The word of God had been silent in Israel for hundreds of years. And now there was someone who had all the characteristics of one of those old prophets. If you remember the first sermon in this Advent series, which was way back in 1st of December... We talked about John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were an elderly couple with no children. His mother was a woman who thought it was impossible to conceive at her age, but then had a child, miraculously. His father received an angel's direction to dedicate the boy to God's service. This story echoes an older story, the story of Samuel, one of the first prophets a prophet who God anointed to enter into ancient Israel's chaos and corruption and who is ordered to help reestablish God's order in Israel. And maybe that's why so many people flocked to see John and be baptized by him. I'm certain that there were many of them who came out just because he was a novelty. He was an odd guy who dressed weird. He was a street preacher who probably was amusing and maybe even entertaining. There were others You may have seen in him a reminder of how things used to be. Remember the stories that they had heard about how God cared for Israel, even when Israel made terrible mistakes, and God's warnings through the prophets, but also God's messages of hope. And these prophets, they were so devoted to God, they didn't care how they looked. So maybe this was something that was going to happen. Maybe Messiah was coming. Maybe this guy is on to something. And in a country that had been conquered by foreign empires and was now ruled by a king, the Herodians, and they really just cared for themselves, a message of God's impending judgment might just be a welcome thing. What if God really were about to appear? Maybe this indeed was the time to start thinking about one's own relationship with God. Maybe it was time to seek God's forgiveness, turn lives around, turn them back to God. Clearly this man, John, was filled with with God's spirit and clearly this man believed that something wonderful was about to happen and that they should be spiritually prepared for whatever God was about to do. Now I have two possibly disturbing pieces of news for you that relate to today's topic. The first is that John the Baptist's message is as relevant for us today as it was to his first audience. John talks about God's wrath, about God's judgment that is coming soon, about the axe being laid to the root of the tree and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cast into the fire. We don't talk about that much and pastors don't preach about it much especially if we know they're staff parish committee members in the congregation. But just because we don't talk about it or think about it doesn't mean that it won't happen. 
there will be God's judgment. And it may look like wrath in some cases. The key to understanding it is in the perspective. It's not necessarily a picture of a fiery and brimstone-filled destruction. To the Christian whose deepest desire is to be as Christ-like as possible, we fully realize how far short we are of God's ideal for us. If there is any sin, any barrier to being fully committed to God, any lingering hindrance to loving others as Christ loved others, any stumbling block to deeper discipleship and obedience, we will love for those things to be taken away to be burned away if necessary. Fire not only destroys, it also purifies and refines. Christians welcome judgment against the metric of Christ, although it may be painful to consider and it may be painful to look how far away we are in that prophetic mirror. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit requires us to take those honest assessments of ourselves and allow God to cut away anything that keeps us from our potential to be as holy as God wishes for us. To those who aren't interested in following Christ, judgment may indeed look like a fearful wrath. This is certainly an imperfect metaphor. To the bacteria, an antibiotic looks like an agent of death and doom. But to the one who is suffering a deadly infection, the antibiotic looks like a savior that gives life. Remember I said that I had two possibly disturbing pieces of news and after talking about fire, judgment, and wrath, how disturbing must the second one be? Well, I suppose that's up to you. John the Baptist was a prophet. And like all prophets, he looked forward to and proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Our faith teaches that the same is true for us. We no longer proclaim the coming of the Messiah. We proclaim that he has come and is coming again. We also believe that we are filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have the same purpose and required tools to be prophets ourselves. Perhaps the unlikely prophet that we are actually speaking about is you and me. You may have noticed that throughout the church there are still echoes of the Christmas message. The Christmas message that Emmanuel has come. God is with us. There is peace on earth because Messiah has come. God is incarnate and lived among us. There are decorations still left from Christmas. The question now becomes, so what? What does it mean that Christ came? What does it mean that we prepared for his coming and now he is here? It means that even when the songs and carols are not sung for another year, and when all the decorations are taken down and put into storage, the message is still with us. And just as John encouraged his audience to prepare themselves for his coming, we now seek those opportunities to share the message of Christ's coming with others. 
We don't have to live in a wilderness and we don't have to eat bugs and honey. Thank heavens. We can be prophets as God calls us in our own settings and in our own ways. As the Spirit leads us into deeper discipleship, God opens our eyes to opportunities where not only our hands and feet are required, but our voice as well. Our call as prophets, should we embrace it, requires us to speak Christ into injustice, into oppression, into evil, in whatever forms they may present themselves, even if those things are in us and those close to us. It's a holy task and a holy calling, but that doesn't mean it's an easy one or a comfortable one. We know how John the Baptist's story ends, but there is a large gap in the story between the time he baptized Jesus and the time he was executed. And there's a reason for that, that John himself declared, he must increase, I must decrease. As the story of Jesus' life and ministry grows, John's story fades into the background. And that's the role for everyone who proclaims Jesus as Lord. As Christ's presence in our life grows, our self-interest diminishes. And there's probably no better reflection of this than John Wesley's covenant prayer. And we've recited this prayer a couple times already this year. But it is a long-standing Methodist tradition to recite this prayer at the end of one year and the beginning of another. This is a time of year when we both reflect back and look forward. And we typically judge ourselves, make resolutions to do some things that maybe make our life better or maybe take away some things and get rid of some things that get in the way of a better life and better relationships. As we enter this new year, let's pray this prayer again together as a reminder and as a recentering of our focus on ways that we can proclaim Christ, deepen our discipleship, and grow in our faith. Let's pray together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with who you will. Put me to doing put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. 
Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.